Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Bussar and this is episode 7. This week I sat down with Kelly Caballero, a native Tongwa woman who is a huge advocate not only for Native American people here in California, but Native American people across the country. Someone whose love for her ancestors and her people was rejuvenated when she went to Standing Rock. An emotional journey that saw her on the front lines of social justice, not only for her people, but everyone across the country. Here's a story and a different perspective on what it means to live in this country. took my hair falling out and (laughs) like breaking off and just being like I have curly hair like why am I resisting this there's like products it took me going to a hairstylist for her to be like look how beautiful and luscious your dark curly hair is Mm -hmm. that was a like a defining moment and it seems so minuscule like just you know 30 minutes in someone's haircut chair to change your life but after that I was like you know I should embrace these locks they look pretty cool and then after that I just started to see myself a little bit differently. And of course, as I got older, I got like more male attention and they saw something in me that I didn't see. And that obviously delved into a whole other set of fucking problems. Yeah. I don't know if I can cuss, but... Um, oh, you can say whatever you want, totally. <laughs> yeah. So again, a whole other set of problems, but starting to see like beauty within myself and embracing it. Again, a really long, tumultuous journey, but... Yeah, I'm I'm super content and happy with who I am right now and like looking forward to the growth that's there cuz being self-aware is probably the most critical thing you can do and uh you know, you got to invest in yourself and support yourself and you know, can't help others if you don't help yourself. Yeah, totally. Um do you want to speak on like I don't know, a little bit of your background as far as like indigenous and what that means exactly, because I feel like most people have no idea what that means. And their idea of that is like Pocahontas or something. They're like, oh, yeah, that's that's it. And that's not accurate. I don't think (laughs) at all. At all. Not at all. Um, Yeah. And it's crazy to think that people can go their whole lives and never meet another native person like they'll never see one, talk to one, get to know one, befriend one. And that just blows my mind. I think about how Native American people were 100% of the population and now we are literally 1% of the population. Um, So people have a very, very skewed, disproportionate idea of what Native America looks like, um, where we are, which is everywhere, the, the Hollywood perception that we all wear headdresses and in jingle dress dance and um, we don't that is a majority of Indian country but I'm here from the west coast I'm a California native I'm Tongva we are from the Los Angeles basin from the San Gabriel mountains to the sea from Malibu to Orange County that is our traditional territory but surrounding us are literally like 500 other tribes in the state of California and only a handful of them are recognized by the federal government. So majority of California nations do not get funding. We have no recognition. There's nothing for our people to support us. There's no reservation, um, no recognition, hardly any collaboration um, besides the token namesakes and, and you know things for appearance 
But as far as like on a deeper level, working with indigenous people to make a, you know, a better place for our citizens here in Los Angeles and Orange County, there's none of that. Um, so that's where I've kind of been sitting in as far as my activism and, and, and groundwork is with my Tongva people and with indigenous people. So, yeah. Right. And then did you... I don't know. It's insane. I mean, so growing up, you knew that you were a little bit different, but initially your initial thoughts were, oh, okay, I want to fit in. Um, when did you, I guess, figure out all this information about like your culture and your identity and your people and then just all of, you know, the things that you just spoke on? Was that over time? Was it your parents that told you about it? Was it something that you, you know, were like, oh, I want to figure out where I came from and what my roots are? Well, the thing is, like, on the outside, when I was going to school, hanging out with friends, fully assimilated Kelly comes out. But when I go home, it's it's brown town. Like, we're eating beans and rice, making tortillas, like, Spanish music. We're watching, you know, novellas and court shows. And, and you know, it's just home that's comfortable to me. And at our parties, we have mariachis and we eat Mexican food and, and things like that. And so it's just a matter of code switching because I always knew where I came from. I knew my roots. My dad would always tell me and it's just like, you're Indian, you're Indian, you're a Gabrielino. And I had no concept of like what that even meant at a time because they didn't really like practice the culture. They just knew about it. They talked about it. They glorified the mission. That's where we come from. Um, just a totally different indigenous perspective from my, my dad's generation. And even prior to that, to me now, the work of decolonizing yourself and really finding out the true histories of things is hard. And you're literally probably the only person in your family doing that work. You know, it's so easy to be blissfully ignorant to, to the world, but like, I just can't live my life like that. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Was your dad a big advocate for you to like go out and, you know, oh, totally. research and look it up and like figure it out on your own instead of just, you know. Yeah, because he definitely wasn't the type. Like, you hit it nail on the head. That's exactly what happened. He would just tell me, like, you're Gabrielina. Like, go, look it up, do something, like, figure it out. I want to know. And before he passed away, I was able to, like, find pictures all the way back seven generations. And, like, wow. it brought back memories of his mother and his grandma. And I was, like, so blown away. So, like, that is the work. That is, like, if you can't do much for other people, you can at least do that for yourself and like change your family narrative because these things get passed on to the next generations. And if you continue to assimilate and hide the truth and contribute to your own genocide, like it's not good, not good at all. No. Yeah, yeah, of course. Jeez. Um, wow. <laughs> so then when did it become something that you, when you're very passionate about it now, was that also a process that took, you know, doing more research and, building a community and finding people and reaching out? Because I would assume you didn't have too many friends in the beginning that you knew. Right? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. I didn't really know any other Tongva people. I didn't even know we were called Tongva. I just assumed we were Gabrielino, Gabrielino Indians, Mission Indians. And that's a kind of a derogative term. And I was just using that like to describe myself to others, completely mm -hmm. uneducated. And um I think, so my heart is always calling for the people. Like, I, I want to know, like, what's going on in the world? Because I'm just a compassionate person, naturally. And when I first saw this post about Standing Rock and how their fight for 
clean water and and the the preservation of their sacred cultural sites like that resonated with me on such a level that I quit my job. I just like packed my things, went alone all the way to South Dakota. And uh, I knew one person and it was the one person that posted the flyer. And it was such a risk and like super probably dangerous and whatnot. But I just had that feeling. I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to do it. And uh, yeah, so I drove my little Scion TC across the States. I went there and it just overwhelmed me. And still to this day, one of the most profound, scary, incredible moving experiences of my entire life, because it made me realize like, I have a voice and I need to use it and indigenous people need me. So yeah, that was the spark. And I've been following that feeling ever since, like, where am I needed? And how can I help? Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to give, I mean, let's talk about that. And then, I mean, I guess before we dive into it, do you want to give a little bit of like background info on Standing Rock for people that don't know what that is or? Oh yeah. And excuse me if I get emotional about Standing Rock, like. No, don't apologize for that. Even almost three years later, it just hits me in the heart how traumatic it was. Um, And all of this that's going on now is triggering PTSD so bad. So please. um, Yeah. I mean, if you don't want to speak of it, I'm totally okay with skipping over. I do because it's important and it's relevant to the times. Um, But Standing Rock was literally a battle against these extractive industries. Enbridge in particular that wanted to put and did put a pipeline um, through sacred Dakota, Lakota territory, disrupting burial sites, their ancestors, um, places that had been untouched for hundreds of years. And it would also cross the Mississippi River. And if it were to leak, it would pollute water for 17 million Americans. Um, So it was paramount for people to stand up and like say, no, enough is enough. How many pipelines do we need? And it was connected to the Alberta tar sands, which is another terrible toxic site on this planet. Um, And there's movements against the tar sands as well. And all of these are indigenous led. So at Standing Rock, you know, we sit with the Dakota people um, and all tribal nations from everywhere gathered together for the first time in history from the South and North, from Europe, from Africa, from all indigenous nations across the entire globe came in support. And we were, it was a prayerful and peaceful gathering and hundreds of thousands of people came. And I was there in the very, very beginning when it was just like a handful of tents. And I stayed for about four and a half months till the winter and I was like oh my god I'm a California girl I don't do the snow gotta go but between that time that entire time it was a peaceful protest there was no weapons no violence allowed and we were still met with attack dogs Uh, we were sprayed with water in like negative 20 degree weather maize tear gas shot at surveillance helicopters every single night like the military was there straight up we held the line i've had guns pointed at my face i've been shot at i've suffered from tear gas like this isn't new to me um but yeah we were 
peaceful. We were just there to pray for the land and, and to hold space. And, you know, they're breaking treaty law. They're not upholding the constitution that they agreed. Like, so it was completely illegal, it was completely wrong. And it really resonated through Indian country. And from there, like we took off. We really like felt empowered in ourselves for the first time. And like, it really took off. Yeah. And so yeah, here I am. No, wow, it's amazing. What did the, I think what I would wonder most is just like the emotional, like feeling of going from somewhere like Orange County or somewhere that, you know, you have rights and freedom and just all that, you know, and then you go somewhere where you're fighting and you see just a massive amount of injustice right before your face and you're suddenly taken from a reality that you knew to a wholly like completely different reality to an extent that's like just you may have been aware of but now you're there experiencing it you know you totally forget about the way that you previously lived Mm. I did not care that I didn't have a clean shower every day or that I had to get most of my resources from like a little tent just stacked with goods or that I dug for clothes and jackets out of piles of them it was honestly one of the best experiences that I ever had because despite the violence and the pain and the horrible things that I saw and was a part of we would come back from those actions and hot food would be ready for us just made from scratch made from the land homemade by hands that just have seen so much in their lives just like aunties and and grandmas cooking for the warriors. And then you would hear drums in the distance and just music and medicine and fires burning everywhere. And, you know, people talking about change and like that made it worth it. That alone just like was the most amazing experience. Um, And it made all that horrible things, you know, it just, it was fine at the end of it. Because I have those memories that, like, I don't know, they just make everything better, I guess. Yeah. I think being able to view, you know, the helpers, as they say, or whatever, it's just, during times like that, it must be, I don't know, I guess it's, it's double-edged sword in a way, because it does strengthen your beliefs and your ideology. Yeah, the whole community village mentality was 100% in effect. And that's, I did not want to leave that at all. That's why I kept going back. That's why I stayed so long is because I hated this like capitalist structure. Like, I don't want to wake up and go to work every day. I want to wake up, go fight for something that's right. Come back and be with my people and my culture. And like, that's the life that I wanted. And that's, that was the devastating part. We saw it, we lived it and we loved it and we lost and we we just long for that i know a lot of people who are at standing rock just like we're still living in that period of time still hurting for the land still missing the experience um because it was really a village life and for native american people to have never experienced that in this lifetime like really profound and like we long for it but obviously not the violence and the destruction, but like, yeah, bring back the village mentality and the community mentality. Shit can change. People are, we have our medics, we have our cooks, we have our cleanup crew, we have our warrior societies, we have our councils, like it functioned. Obviously everything has this 
inner politics and, and infiltrators, but like, it was, it was an experience and I'm lucky to have been a part of it. Yeah, totally. Do you have an, uh, like a story that you want to share about maybe a day or an experience that really resonates with you or that you think is a really good example of kind of your mentality or what you were going through during that time? Yeah, the one that always comes to mind and the one that like instantly brings me to tears is like we were having a really violent day on the highway and it was, you know, face to face. We have like a teepee erected in the center of the road. They can't pass. They're telling us to retreat. We're holding the line. It's hot. Like tensions are high. And, you know, we're all like face up. We're we're going crazy. And all of a sudden, like, oh, (laughs) On our right side, down the hills, like rolling green hills, just a giant herd of buffalo, which is a sacred animal to the Dakotas and all Native American people for what they represent and and our relation to them. But there was just a whole herd of them just running down the hills, coming close next to us. And then there was warriors on horses riding along. And, and it just, like to see our spirit animal come and support like oh my god like it's such a powerful image for me and like it just resonates so much because when you fight for the people the earth is fighting with you because you know you're pushed by something beyond yourself you're fighting for all of creation and when creation shows up and shows you that you're doing the right thing like all of our depression our low spirits our tiredness all our pain like Everything that we were going through in that moment just like went away. We were all of a sudden refreshed and like ready for the next fight. And yeah, that was just like one of the most intense moments and I'll never forget it. Yeah. Wow. Is it something that has your perspective of like animals and nature and everything that had to have had a massive impact on just your view of the world to see something where that is like a very real thing. Like the world was responding to what you guys were doing. Like everything was it is. hearing you. And I mean, I've had a, I've grown up with that mentality. Like if there's one thing that was instilled in me, it's that our relation to the plants and animals and everything around us that comes from creation is our relation. And they should be thought of as an, an, you know, treated as such. Um, everything has its purpose on this planet. So I already grew up with that mentality, but seeing that, I it opened my eyes, literally opened my eyes and taught me to look more, look deeper, see the signs. I, when I, and it, it really is, when you see animals, I stop what I'm doing and I pay attention. I look at and acknowledge every single hawk that I pass by. If I see one on a light post in the air, I stop, I give it the peace sign, I acknowledge it because it's it's there guiding me. And a butterfly, obviously, you know, people relate little critters and birds and bugs to their, you know, loved ones. Like, oh, that's my dad, he's a bluebird. Or like, that's my mom, she's a butterfly and she comes and visits me. Like, we have that. People do that all day, every day. We put spirits and attach them to animals. When those animals are spirits already, they have an essence and a being about them 
And yes, may, sometimes they may carry our relatives or ancestors. Like, I don't doubt that. But it's just tuning into it and really looking at creation around you as a, a source to be spoken to and to be reminded of what is really important in this world, especially when we're all stuck in the rat race. Like, why do you think all the cities are, you know, desolate trees and nature? Like, it just keeps you distracted, keeps you just focused on, on the concrete ahead of you. Yeah. Do you think when you came back from that whole experience and then coming back to Southern California and coming to a place like you just said, that's, you know, kind of like a concrete, you know, just backdrop and there is trees, but they're also just more kind of placed there to make this illusion of connection with nature and society. But like, the cities that we live in here are very, you know, compact and just mm -hmm. buildings and people on top of each other. Yeah, it it shook me, honestly, and it's still I hate it with a passion. And every day I think about ways to get out and escape and I've written songs about literally going anywhere that has nature. Um, although these plants are invasive species, they take from the natural plants that need water to survive and, you know, resource and space to grow. And they're encroached upon and killed by the invasive bugs they also bring. Like this, it is what you said, like an illusion. It's an aesthetic of nature amongst us when it's, it's not, it's bad. But um, yeah, I hate the city life. After that, I struggled. I I couldn't stand the sound of an airplane. I couldn't, I hated bright lights. I was upset. I couldn't see stars anymore. Um, and I noticed that every single day, you know, just the lack of stars, lack of air quality. Like once you've had it good, you notice everything yeah, else. Totally. Can you walk us through like the first, I guess, couple, around a couple of days, couple of weeks, did you go back into society and go like okay cool now i need to get a uh, job and it was it like a period of assimilation again did it become something where yeah yeah i definitely struggled i did not want to get a job i was looking for the next thing um just high off of it also trying to suppress the feelings that i had about it um so when i got back i was really really active in the community like i did not stop I found all the native-led events. I went to all of them. I introduced myself to everybody. And that was the first time I met another Tongva woman. And she was just performing one night. And she was like, a she's a hip-hop MC, super badass. And she was like, yeah, my name's Jessa. I am a Tongva MC, poet, writer. And she was just so badass. And I had to talk to her. So I introduced myself and... Uh, you know, I connected with her. I told her I was Tongva and I never met anyone else. And, you know, that community just took me in. I put myself out there. I started going to all the events, like I said, and just introduced myself to the community and put in the work, volunteered, showed up, pulled beads, like laid tables, marched. I like, I just showed up because I wanted to be there. And eventually things started to get put on to me to lead things, organize things, speak about things and represent, you know, our tribe, which I didn't want. Um, I just wanted to like make music and sing and, you know, just express myself. 
but it became like, oh, can you do our land acknowledgement? Can you open up our event? Can you do this? And can you write something for that? And I went with it. I just went with it because it's what I felt was right. I learned a lot from my elders. Uh, they took me in, they taught me. Um, so yeah, after Standing Rock, I was just 100% into it. I was like all about being native and proud for the first time, um, introducing myself that way. People growing up with me, they'd be like, oh, you're like a native now. I was like, no, I've always been native, but I never felt comfortable enough to like talk about it. Like mm-hmm. that was it. Like you just judge me or like make fun of me or like have some stereotype. And so I just never, never talked about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after that, I was just like gung ho and I haven't stopped since. Right. How did, um, so meeting Jessa and seeing a Tongva woman who is an MC, a poet, you know, all these artistic ways of expressing, um, you know, and like advocating and educating people about your people. Did that, you, have you always been doing music or was it something that that kind of sparked maybe a rejuvenation in your interest in the art form? Uh, I had a ukulele before all of that went down and I was like writing love songs and like happy, positive vibes and like little reggae songs. Uh-huh. And um, after Sandy Rock, my music definitely took a transformation, definitely, you know, definitely pro-native and about the land and a lot of nature influence which was always a theme I realized in my work, but now I understood the theme and I ran with it. And a lot of my work post standing rock is, I love it. Cause it is really, it's focused, it's con- cohesive and it's about, you know, native life. It's about being an urban native so-called and, you know, finding your culture. And it's just so much about my journey. Every song is, I do all only original work. I don't play covers. And uh, yeah, this, it's all about my my culture, pretty much. Has, and if it's not blatantly about the culture, it's in there. It's nature themes. Sure. Has your like connection with music changed a lot throughout this time? Because I mean, before you were saying you were writing more, I guess, pop and mainstream kind of music, because that was maybe something you were like, oh yeah, that seems like the was that the kind of music that you're listening to as well? Did that everything change as far as? You know, you're like, okay, now I'm listening to different types of music and making different types of music. And my whole approach to songwriting and the art form as a whole has changed. For that, I'm going to say no, because I am at heart a songwriter. I am not a musician. I'm not like a like a masterful ukulele player. I'm pretty mediocre, to be honest, but I have gotten by and carried myself and soared with my songwriting and voice alone. And I mean, I've only had one song out and I've done so much. So it's, it's my music choices and style hasn't changed too much. I did, however, get introduced to some really amazing native artists and, you know, opened up my music world that way. But for the most part, I listen to the same things. I'm very much a on repeat favorite artists pretty bland um, when it comes to like variety I like what I like and I play it forever um, but yeah in my songwriting just the lyrics itself had a more direct voice I guess sure do you want to walk us through like the songwriting process of like what do you go into it with 
a goal or like a purpose behind what you're going to write about or is it just a very organic just uh very very organic i don't ever force my creativity um so it's been hard for me to make it a business because i just i just don't have it in me to like all right kelly just sit down and write you're gonna you're gonna work today i can't do that um so everything comes from a real place um i'll just sit there with my ukulele find some chords that i like and start humming a melody and then the emotion follows whatever is on my mind or I'll sit there and I think about it. Like what's bothering me right now? Like, Oh, my ex-boyfriend or like, Oh, humanity. Um, I'll just like pick a general idea of something on my mind and see what happens. And I'm open to changing it or if I don't like that, like, and then I just go line by line and write it down, find what follows. And I can get a song done pretty quickly. Um, but I also have a bunch of unfinished songs as any, artist does (laughs) sure yeah what other um art forms have you like dove into so music i've always enjoyed writing songs poetry is new for me i just started writing poems how's that been like live this year last year awesome i love it i love it honestly almost more than music because yeah. i don't have to show up with anything i don't have to set up i just literally walk up there bear my soul and dip out like mm-hmm. that's the kind of person i am i'm also like introvert so it's hard to be miss music and self-promote and be out there and shake the hands and the poet life uh so introverted and like mm-hmm. artsy so i'm loving it and i'm still expanding in that um, but it's been well received. I've done a lot since I've just released like a handful of poems. So that encourages me. I also did go see a psychic and she said something about me being a writer in my past life, without oh, wow. knowing that I was a writer in this life. And I was like, what? That's super cool. So, yeah. Jeez. I love those little affirmations. That's yeah. a whole nother story, but yeah. And then jewelry making that I started doing in the last maybe two years just playing around i have no idea how it started i have no idea how i came to have like two bins of things and needles and strings and shells i honestly could not tell you how it went down this rabbit hole but i make it i sell it i've made some for a donation recently and i love it and uh my friends and family are wearing it I'm making regalia. And again, this is something that I think is coming through me and that I'm guided by and subconsciously already know how to do because I didn't even watch a YouTube video. I didn't even learn anything. I honestly have no idea how I came by the materials. It seems like a dream that I wasn't there for, like memories I don't remember making. So I really think the jewelry is, you know, spirit coming through and expressing something. Um, and I love doing it and it's super easy and distracting and yeah, it's just a weird art that I picked up. I have no experience in jewelry making. Right. But it makes you feel a certain way and it feels like it's right. Yeah. And it's to me, a ironic twist. So say if I never decolonized and I just was like Kelly from Orange County mm-hmm. and I think I would still have gathered seashells and made ocean themed jewelry 
Um, Cause that is inherently what is in me. All these shells, I gathered them over the course of my life, never fully knowing in my relation as an indigenous woman to the landscape and the ocean and, you know, our saltwater clan, which is what I'm a part of. So it's just weird. I, I really think that, you know, genetic memory plays a huge role in our lives. And once we open our eyes to that and the generational things that we carry and our ancestry and the things that we're just attracted to, it means so much more when you're aware of it and you, you know, dive into it and you don't know where you're going to go. Like, I never thought I'd be making jewelry and selling it and making up like half of my income. It blows my mind. Wow. No, it's crazy. I think that idea is pretty, you would be attached to the ocean regardless because naturally something inside you will draw you to that because that's the kind of person that you are. I think that is pretty amazing. And I think for a lot of people in the world and myself included, I think there are certain things that we do unconsciously, you know, and we realize like, Hey, we're doing that on a regular basis or we're drawn to certain things without consciously knowing why. But I think once Mm -hmm. people are able to like reflect and look back and like you were saying before, you know, inwardly reflect on who you are and realize why you're doing certain things or making certain decisions. And that's all a reflection of who you are. And ultimately just, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I like that. I like that idea that no matter how far you or how lost you may be from who you are, a part of you will also like resonate and shine through. Yeah. Your, your soul and your spirit remembers. Um, I do believe that there are old souls and people and new souls and your old soul carries a lot of weight in how you walk in the world today. And it really is just taking that inward look at yourself and asking yourself, like, why do you do that? Why do you think this way? How come you are the way that you are? And for me, that all came as a result of being an introvert and like taking my nature walks by myself, going on hikes by myself, swimming by myself. Um, Not to sound like some really like horrible, lonely person, but like I enjoy that time because that is when I think about all these things and then I can actually apply them. And, you know, I've just to come from the Kelly from the Orange County that so wanted to be white and totally put myself and spirit on the back burner to be this Kelly now like it really took good long looks at myself and you just like genuinely just love yourself and it feels so good totally (laughs) yeah I connect with that so much I grew up um like obviously one of like very few people of color in like school and then I think yeah like first grade second grade realizing like me and my brother are different and just growing up with that but also very much feeling you know a part of me going like I wish I was white you know and like Mm -hmm. that's a real thought that I had for like a very decent amount of time I would say for several years that was an actual legitimate goal of mine I was like how do I make that happen (laughs) and then later on realizing like what the fuck are you thinking about dude like why you know what what is the reason for that you know and ultimately it became something that in me was just a form of insecurity and not like loving Mm -hmm. myself you know and not understanding who I am and Mm -hmm. yeah very similar I'm introverted I love being by myself I spend more time by myself and I talk to myself more than I talk to other people and this podcast is interesting because it's allowed (laughs) me to be more vulnerable with like people that I talk to 
And I know a lot of podcasters talk about it and they're like, oh, they're more vulnerable with their guests than they are with the, their loved ones. And that's such a real thing is that like my family doesn't see the side of like the emotional capacity that I have. And I think being able to project it in some way is an important thing, whether it's an art form, wherever art form you mm-hmm. want to do. But I think writing poetry, different things like that. But ultimately, um, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying as far as self-reflection, understanding and needing that time by yourself to really think about and understand who you are. Yeah. And I think it is important for people to have an outlet where they can truly be seen and be themselves and be heard how they want to be. Um, and I experienced that too. My, my mom and dad, they love me. Do they understand me all the time? Hell no. Do they support what I do? Most of the time? No, but I turn to my art and when they come to my shows and they hear my songs, then they understand, yeah. you know, and then they, they feel more it's because sometimes having the hard conversation, especially with the way that I talk sometimes very directly and sure. I get emotional when I speak. Um, it makes conversation with family really hard. So I think people need an outlet away from that. Not to say like, you know, disown your family. And like, I'm just saying like, find something outside of that and, you know, embrace it. Totally. So you can just be yourself. Yeah. And I think finding a positive outlet too, as someone who has suffered with like substance abuse and different things like that, I find mm. that in the beginning, my outlets weren't necessarily positive or productive. They were like, oh, cool. Let's drink myself into a new reality or <laughs> do a bunch of drugs to like, you know, feel better about myself. And that wasn't the yeah. positive outlet, you know? And I think there are a lot of people that are struggling with substance abuse and mental health issues because they have the same ideology that we might have had when we were younger or we did have when we like wanted to be different people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to realize that like we're both talking about growing up as people of color in a predominantly, you know, white area and wanting to go, Oh, we wish we were white. But I don't think someone who was white and grew up in an area with people of color, they're not gonna be like, I wish I was a person of color. I don't think that's the same thing because the ideology behind us was that we didn't feel like we belonged. And I think, I don't know. I think the reverse way of looking at it is people just want to be, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, there's different motives because maybe there is, exactly, you yeah. know, the, the little white boy that grows up in the hood and he's surrounded by black people and he kind of adopts the culture and maybe he does want to fit in, but at the end of the day, he still has more privilege mm-hmm. than the person he's, you know, taken an identity from, um, and unawarely too, maybe, sure. but it, it's just a different mentality too. like, they have nothing to gain from wanting to be a person of color. We, yeah, totally. There you go. We, we see a perspective like, man, I wish I had a smaller nose. Maybe I'd be seen as more beautiful or mm-hmm. maybe if I was thinner, I'd be more um, attractive. And you know, it's just, it's, just, it's perpetuated yeah. and it's not our faults. And there are so many people who struggle with that. I see it every day and it's kind of manifested into something else these days. This following generation Mm -hmm. um it's all yeah it's all weird brainwashing and i don't know it's just it's ongoing and i don't i don't have an answer to it 
but just again, looking inward and, you know, seeing yourself and finding people of your kind and color and, you know, admire that, admire those that look like you because it will really instill self-love. It doesn't mean like those other people aren't beautiful. It doesn't take away from their beauty or, you know, how they live their lives. Um, But yeah, besides looks, there's so many other reasons to want to appear to be European, white race. Like there's so many other reasons, the privilege, the money, the status, the clothes, like there is an obscene amount of privilege. Yeah. Um, that comes with, with being white, whether they recognize it or not. And it's not our fault for wanting that because we are denied all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think growing yeah. up knowing that, but also seeing that I think, I mean, at least for me, a lot of the writers, a lot of the filmmakers, a lot of the, you know, anything musicians, I think it was all, sort of fed to me through this tube of like, these are the best people and that isn't up for debate and you need to understand that. And then you look back and like as an adult now, I realize like, dude, all the writers, all like the films, everything that I like was taught and told that was like the best things and the, you know, the greatest artists or whatever, they're all white. They're all white men for the most part. Um, Every single writer I think that I like admired or looked up to was all a white man. And then I like, Mm. I think this past year looked at my bookshelf and I was like, holy shit. Like it is so (laughs) ridiculous how we, like I wasn't conscious of it. Right. I was like, okay, cool. I like Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, these people that are great writers and I don't take anything away from that, but I think it is something important for people of color to, look at those things, look at your book collection, look at your DVD collection. I don't know if people have DVDs, but whatever, like just the way the art form, the things that you are consuming on a daily basis, I think it is a reflection of who you are and it also contributes to your mindset, you know? And as much as I admire and love Ernest Hemingway and Anthony Bourdain and all these people, I love them. And I think they made a huge impact on you know, the art form and everything that they did. And I respect that. But I think at the same time, we need to, you know, look at other writers and explore different avenues and understand that people of color aren't on those big shows because they weren't given the same opportunities because they weren't, Mm -hmm. you know, there to be given that, you know, like James Baldwin and these people that had to fight to become voices. It wasn't a part of the normal status quo of people back then in the 1920s. It was like, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway and all these people were given permission to make books and stuff because society was okay with Mm -hmm. it. And then something changed because people were like, hey, that's not right. Everything starts to become the same and there aren't voices. There aren't opinions. Yeah, exactly. You hit it right on the head. That's exactly what the agenda was from the first place. There's no way that two authors, one black and one non-black would submit a book of same quality. You know who they're going to pick. Like it's not fair. And honestly hits different as a person of color to read a work of art from another person of color. Mm -hmm. It really just, it hits different. I don't know what it is, but instills pride. You get that perspective that you live, um, that you relate to and it's empowering and I think people should really support, you know, support their own, support others, 
but really look into the amazing minds and voices that don't get the light, that aren't amplified, that aren't mainstream because it's not deemed good enough or, you know, what's trending. Um, there's amazing books out there. There's amazing music by people of color. The most brilliant minds that have ever existed have created the most amazing inventions come from people of color. But why are we not amplifying that? Why are we not sharing that? Why are we not honoring their contributions to society? I, like that's part of the problem too. And being a person of color, like we just don't see it. We don't recognize it. We're taught to like want for something else, but like there's so much brilliance in in our melanin and like how we carry ourselves and our cultures that that are, you know, the core of us. Um, just tapping into it is like the most important thing. Um, cause if we don't carry our histories with us and, and speak on to where we have come from, um, we're all just going to fade into this, like one weird, like, I see no color, like Pleasantville weird society where there's no identity, there's no flavor, there's no culture. And I'm not here for that. No. <laughs> yeah. People need to be proud and it's time to just like reclaim your identities, however you want to show it. Um, as long as it's based in, you know, rooted in love and like progress, like, you know, do you, be you, embrace it, find people that you look like and relate to and share the same message and you'll feel more powerful enough to like spread it amongst everybody. Um, and that's what I had to do. I actually grew up, I grew up in two homes um, and one side, ironically, my native side was very anti-black, very racist, very anti-Asian. And that's common in a lot of Latino, Hispanic, brown, Mexican households. Um, it is it flourishes in those households and, and in that community as well. And so it's been a lot of work also having those conversations within my family and myself Um because if you grow up with it, it's normal to you. Yeah. And yeah, so loving all, it's not that I hated anybody, but it was just weird prejudices, like weird things that I would say and not know like why I even felt that way in the first place. Like I totally. don't have any experience to speak on what I'm saying. Um, and so when I started to learn about my history and American history and started reading the books and reading the papers, the essays, the thesis, like, when I really started doing the research, I just understood that the plight of oppressed people, people of color, like, though we all have different struggles and we are faced with different obstacles, we all are suffering under the same oppressor. And that's when I started to, like, look away from our differences as people and look to the entity that wants us to be divided. Um because that's what it is. It's really not a, a race war. It's the criminal ruling class against the people. Mm-hmm. And he has us pitted against each other, ready to, you know, rip each other's heads off. And they're just watching, yeah, enjoying it. And, and so, I don't know. It's like a really big, we're at war. It's a war. Yeah. Dignity. Sure. Totally. Yeah. But I think, yeah, you do have a, have a very valid point in the sense that I think the movement requires or not requires, but it would be obviously more ideal to have someone leading it and cause people to 
I don't know. I think changing the narrative of how people are perceiving what's happening right now in the sense that mm. I think a lot of people are turning on the news and seeing stores get looted or violence and stuff. And that also contributes to the mentality of how people see what's happening. And I think oh, yeah. as someone who wants to go into journalism, it looking at all the news outlets and stuff has only propelled my desire to go out there and become a journalist because I do see a lot of errors in the way that, you know, the news and the media is portraying things that are happening. And I think it is a very, you know, a very deep reflection of like the people that are pulling the strings at those fucking companies, oh, you know, it's my like God. Yep. really important to see. And I think for me as someone who I support companies like Unicorn, right, which is like an independent journalism companies that don't have you know, nonprofit and don't have these people that are controlling them. And that's like, I don't know what I want to advocate for. And I think during a time where journalism is being attacked and rightfully so to an extent, but at the other side of the circle, it's like the voices of the people need to be heard. So the movements need leaders. I think the media needs to have a better, um, I guess, leader or like groups of people that actually understand and want to portray things properly and not have this just constant circle of like misinformation and different things like that. And I think that would be how I would see, or at least how I can impact change and solutions in the world is to like, you know, advocate for the voices of people that are being shut down or silenced through oh, yeah. the, you know, hierarchy that is America. Yeah, and media, and obviously they spin a, a story, and Unicorn Riot is fucking badass. Yep. They are so down for everything true. They were at Standing Rock, their footage, like, they're arrestables. They don't give a fuck. They're in the streets with the people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, check out Unicorn Riot for fuck sure yeah. if yeah. you haven't. But um, it is really important to have grassroots, homegrown organizations that are you know, gathering this information, putting it in the truthful way for the people, because the media will always lie. And like, even the people who watch the media know that it lies and yet they still watch it, which is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that grassroots journalism is exactly what we need. And that's the only way that our side of the story will ever be heard. And because guarantee, if not, if things do not change, generations from now are going to open up their history book and they're going to have some really weird, tainted version of what is happening today. Yeah. It's going to be spun in some weird, milky way. And like, uh, I don't want that. I don't want to have to be like unteaching things for my children at school. Like, uh, so yeah, it needs to happen now. Totally. I can't wait another day. No, neither can I. I think, wow. I mean, you saying that makes me really reflect on like people that were alive during, you know, MLK in the, you know, Millie Man March and all that is, I think it would be really interesting to hear their perspective on how history portrayed what was happening and how they viewed what was happening. And, you know, now we're at the forefront of history and we will get a very clear idea of how history will mark these events because these are historical Mm -hmm. events, no matter how you look at it, this year the last couple years whatever has been a historical moment and it's a very eye-opening moment for america we are starting to see the true colors of you know a country and yeah and oh my god the weird like false patriotism and the things that i've seen and 
man, all these people are like, we need to come together, but spout so much hate. So I don't, the way we educate our citizens, first of all, is like one of the most major things we need to do and leadership and diversity. And there's so many ways we can fix this. So I don't know why people are like, why it's a war because there are solutions. There's so many ways and they've been telling us and now it's just time to listen. All the resources are literally right in front of us and to not try to educate yourself or learn more or, you know, work with open eyes is just you're uh, contributing to that. Like ignorance is bliss when it is not. Mm-hmm. You're just contributing to our, like I said, our earlier, our further demise into genocide we're just killing ourselves if we don't look up we don't see what is around us the people who are here um and support of us and the education that we need to be better it's all there and just need to like look up from your screens like read a book yeah um take (laughs) sit, sit in nature don't just like walk through it but sit in it listen to it and yeah just everything's within you. You have the power to change yourself before you have the power to like change anybody else's lives. Um, Cause the only reason I'm able to do any of this work and share as much as I've been sharing and, and being on the ground on the front lines is because I did the self work and I'm still doing it. Mm-hmm. And the further I go into the movement, you know, the more I want to stay, um, I just, it's what's right. And like I said, it's a, it's a, a, I don't know, chasing some Skittles down a rabbit hole. I don't know what the analogy is, but like you just take a nibble and then you keep going back for more and all of a sudden you're in deep and you're never coming out because you understand and that human body needs people to move and work for it. Um, you know, this 1%, this criminal ruling class, like we just, ugh just revolt people i'm ready yeah (laughs) all right well do you have any like how can people find you how can people connect with you and i guess it's parting words for everyone that's listening right now or has stayed through i shout out to all the people that like weren't offended by what we said like 10 minutes in like all right fuck this shit (laughs) if you if you made it past my crying props to you um thank you yeah you can find me on Instagram is probably where I'm most active is Kelly underscore Miha, M-I-J-A. Um, I'm also on Facebook and I do a lot more talks on there. Um, Kelly Caballero, C-A-B-A-L-L-E-R-O. And I also have like some music on YouTube. You can look me up with the same name, just a couple songs. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> and then, I mean... Wow, we've given a lot of advice, but I guess just in like a couple words, what you would be the biggest takeaway from everything we talked about. If you can, I don't know. I think my takeaway from this, and if I were to offer any advice um, for people who are wanting to make a change within themselves or make change for, you know, the betterment of humanity, it really is all inner work. It's inner work. Look at yourself. Look at your prejudices. Ask, where did you get them? Where do they come from? How can you dismantle them? Um, Because everybody is prejudiced. Also, check your privilege and how you can use that to 
level the playing field amongst all races. Um, and again, it's all inward work and it will blossom outward, you know, but just start, start by educating yourself and look up decolonization because that's what has happened to us. We have been colonized Mm -hmm. and we have that colonized mindset. Um, so break out of it, do the work and it's hard because you're going to have to dismantle systems you probably solely benefit from. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want the all lives matter, if you want peace amongst the races and you want the violence to stop, you have to stop that violence within your minds. Yeah. That's it. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you. I appreciate you sitting down and talking to me. Thank you for tuning in. As always, head to thedoublelifepod.com for more information and stories. Please subscribe and share and uh, see you guys next week. Thank you.